Let's go ahead and pray to get started tonight, and then we'll jump right in with both feet. Uh, Father, it is with gratefulness that we bow in your presence tonight. We thank you for your blessings in our life. Pray that you'd open your word up to us tonight. Help us as we study. I pray the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I pray that we'll learn some things that will help us be more effective Christians. Uh, Help us to understand your word this evening. Help us to apply it to our lives. Thank you for each one who's here. I bless every group that is meeting, uh, Lord, from the nursery through uh, through the teenagers and then in our groups here. Uh, Father, I just pray that you'll just guide, direct, and bless in an awesome way tonight. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought uh, we would uh, jump in at both feet tonight and, and talk some more about these apostates that we find in the book of Jude. We're still dealing with the apostates. And the sad thing is we're also still dealing with the apostates in the church as a whole today. And what I thought we would do is go back and do a little bit of a review. Because uh, we have been studying Jude for a little while now. And uh, it's good to go back and review what we've covered so if you look on the front of that worksheet, there's a definition or two I want to go over with you again to know exactly who we're talking about, uh, because it's important for us to know who we're talking about. <coughs> so if you look there at these definitions, simply stated, apostasy is turning away from the truth. It's turning away from the truth. Maxwell Coder defines an apostate as one who has received light, but not life. Apostates claim to be Christians, but they're not. Nor are they merely unbelievers. Apostates know the truth, but do not act upon it. They perform an inside job and are tools of the enemy to destroy the foundation of the church, even though they themselves may be blind to this reality. The apostate, now watch this, the apostate may have received the written word in some way, but not the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want you to notice the second part there. We should remember that an apostate is not a true believer who walks away from salvation. Why? Because that's an impossibility. If you're truly born again, you're born again for all eternity. It's not someone who's saved and then walks away. It's impossible according to Scripture. An apostate professes to be a Christian, but does not possess Christ. So an apostate is one who has truth, who who has received some truth, maybe part of the written word, but not the living word. Uh, They might profess to be Christians, but they're not. In fact, the enemy is using them in the midst of even the church to destroy the work. Now, let's look at what the Lord Jesus had to say about that in Matthew 7. Uh, we'll start there. Matthew 7. And we'll understand this is not new to us. Uh, it goes all the way back. And we find in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus is speaking. You've got a red letter Bible. You can notice there it's the words of the Lord. Uh, beginning at verse 15. Matthew 7:15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. And we've noticed already in the book of Jude, it talks about what? Certain men crept in unawares. Uh, they didn't come in saying, hey, we're apostates. We're here to destroy everything. They came in, crept in, looked good, sounded good, seemed good. But in reality, they were wolves in sheep clothing. Verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now notice verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Can you in your mind's eye see them standing for the Lord saying, listen, we preached in your name and we worked in your name. We did all these things. And the Lord Jesus looks at them and says, listen, depart from me. You're a worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, we know that as you look in church history and you look in the book of Acts, you know, the enemy, and we saw it in the book of Nehemiah too, the enemy would maybe come from the outside, seek to attack, but that many times leads to a strengthening of the work. So instead of attacking from the outside, he begins to go to work on the inside. And instead of attacking the church from the outside, he simply joins the church. And as he joins, he begins to work and seek to mess up what's going on. Now, let's go to Jude now. And as we continue to review a little bit, let's, let's back up and, and understand some things here. Uh, they, these men had crept in unnoticed, and they were attacking the grace of God and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pick up our reading there back at verse 1, and we'll read down through and do a little review, then we'll jump in beginning at verse 8 tonight. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved... While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, this is what I wanted to write to you. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness, they attacked the grace of God, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You remember last time we were together, we studied these examples from the Old Testament. Uh, basically, the people of Israel and the sin of unbelief. You know, they uh, went in, spied out the land. Ten spies brought back an evil report. Two spies brought back a good report. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that survived from, what, 20 years old and upward. They wandered around the wilderness waiting for everybody to die off. And then the younger generation went in. And then it's the fallen angels. We talked a lot about that last time, about exactly who are these fallen angels and what took place. But these fallen angels there in verse 6. And then Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, wicked, sinful, perverse place. Uh, and God did what with them? He destroyed them. He wiped them off the face of the earth. And uh, Lot was in their midst and God did preserve him. And that's a whole sad story there about Sodom and Gomorrah. And that brings us up to where we are tonight. Verse 8. Okay, so let's begin reading at verse 8, and it says, likewise, so likewise, of course, we're looking back when he just talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of what they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, I'll just go ahead and warn you. We're not going to get through all those verses tonight. We're going to get through probably through verse 10, and we'll reserve verse 11 
for the next time we're together. And Brother Larry's going to be speaking next week. And so we'll uh, tackle verse 11 the week after, God willing. But there's so much in this. And he goes back again to history. And he goes back, uh, if you will, talking about these, uh, these Old Testament people, Cain and Balaam and, and Korah. But let's, let's go back as well and look at what's here. Now, he's basically painting a picture, if you will, of these apostates. And I see at least six things in those verses, verses 8 through 11. Let me tell you, it's an ugly picture. Maybe you've seen some ugly pictures before. This is a really ugly picture of these people. Let's begin looking at these apostates and notice several things about them. I want you to notice, first of all, they were dreamers. They were dreamers. Look again there at verse number 8. Likewise, also these dreamers... Defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. If you have a King James version, you probably have an extra word in there. Anybody have a King James tonight? Filthy dreamers, right? Uh, Filthy being italicized, added for understanding. And indeed, these people were filthy dreamers. Now, what does it mean that they were dreamers? I think I gave you a quote there from John MacArthur. Would you look at it with me? It says, This refers to a confused state of the soul or abnormal imagination producing delusions and sensual confusion. These, mind, these men's minds were numb to the truth of God's word, so that being beguiled and deluded, they fantasize wicked perversions, being blind and deaf to reality and truth. Perhaps they falsely claimed they were dreams and visions from God. Now, I want you to really look at that last sentence especially. The last sentence there says, perhaps they falsely claimed they were dreams and visions from God. That's a dangerous thing. Now, many of the false teachers today will do the exact same thing. Here's what I mean by that. Instead of expounding and declaring the truth of God's word, instead of taking the Bible and opening the Bible and using the Bible, many of these false teachers will say, I had a vision. Or God spoke to me in an audible voice or whatever. I had had a vision and and a dream and, and God gave me some new truth. Now, when you hear that, what should happen in your mind and heart? A red flag should go up real quick, right? First of all, if God gave them new truth, what? I thought the canon was closed. Now, of course, we can dig and dig and dig and we never expand, expound and, and, and exhaust the word of God. But it's something totally new outside the Bible. And it's something only given to them. You didn't get it and I didn't get it. Something God gave to them. Listen, we've got to be careful about that thing, those type of things. We can say things in a new way, the same truth. Uh, we can present it in a, in a new, fresh way, but the truth remains the same. The truth is the same. It's the same as when it was written. Jude is the same uh, back when Jude wrote it as it is today. And there's many applications as we learn. But the idea is this. Perhaps they were saying, listen, folks, you, 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 you know, you're fine with all this that you've learned. Listen, God's given us something new. God's given me a vision. God's given me a dream. Listen, beware of that. God always leads according to his word. Always. If somebody tells you that God led them to do something that God's word says don't do, I'm afraid that wasn't God leading them. It might be their own sinful flesh. It might be some other spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God always leads according to his word. And so they were dreamers. But notice what else it says about them. It says they were pretty much immoral. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They defile the flesh. Um, They were immoral. They were perverse. Uh, Notice the first word of that verse is likewise. What was just being talked about in verse 7? 
Anybody? Two wicked cities. Sodom and Gomorrah. Talked about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They were not morally clean people. Uh, They were sexually uh, immoral. And we'll see more of that in verse number 10. Verse 10 says they speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beast in these things, they corrupt themselves. These people rejected the truth. They cast off restraint. Uh, somebody, as you're reading the ver- different verses, if you read them nice and clear and loud, Titus 1.15, who took that? I think, Dorita, did you take that, please? Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. I couldn't help but think about back in Noah's day, when you think about these people. Remember before God destroyed, it says that their minds from evil and wickedness constantly, it was just perverse. Who had Second Peter 3, 3? I think maybe, Daryl, did you have that, please? Um, <clears throat> knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Walking according to their own lusts. What does it look like for a person? Now, I want you to help me. What does it look like for a person to walk according to their own lust? that person going to be a squeaky clean, holy, pure type person if they walk according to their own lust? Okay, two people think that they won't. We've got kids that are running wild tonight. This group just needs some of that energy. We need to bring some <laughs> that energy in here and we can balance it out. Let's talk about lust for a moment. Um, scripture talks about basically the lust, basically three. Lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, right? Uh, it talks about the pride of life. Um, when Adam and Eve, when Eve failed, when she sinned, you look at this as the, she looked at the fruit, saw it was good, desired to make one wise. Uh, when you look at the temptation of the Lord Jesus and Satan came along and tempted him, he went along these lines. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, things I want to look at, things that my flesh desires, pride and position. When you walk according to the lust of your flesh and your own lust, it's a sinful, wicked thing. We're not to walk there. We're not to, to be there. First uh, John, didn't have that in my notes. First John 2, uh, 15. says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is, if, but is of the world. Uh, this is not where a Christian lives. A Christian is to have the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working those fruits in them. So we have people here, they're dreamers, they're immoral, and then on top of that, they're rebellious. Notice the next part of Jude 8. It says that they are dreamers, defile the flesh, Reject authority. Reject authority. Uh, In other words, they're rebellious. They reject authority. Their motto is probably something like this. Rules are made to be broken. Um, Know anybody like that? Don't look around. Uh, Authority. Let's talk about authority for a moment. Um, Did I give you that Wearsby quote? Read that with me. All authority comes from the throne of God. Whether it is authority in the home, the church, or the state. Those who exercise authority must first be under authority accountable to God. 
But the false teachers reject divine authority and set themselves up as their own authority. Oh, if people would only learn to submit to God-given authority. Now, one of the issues we have, and I'll be honest with you, I am fearful for some of our up-and-coming generations. I'm fearful for them. Um, they don't like to respond appropriately to authority, do they? They don't like authority. They don't like anybody telling them what to do. Uh, for many of them, sad to say, it starts at home. They don't submit to the authority of mom and dad, and then they go to school. And because they don't submit at home, they don't submit at school to the teacher, and then they don't submit to the principal. And then we go on through their life. They don't submit to the boss at work. They don't submit to the law. Uh, and pretty much they destroy their lives. We have to realize that all of God-given authority uh, it is given by God and in the home, in the church, in the state. And ultimately, if we rebel against that authority, we're not just rebelling against that person. We're rebelling against God, plain and simple. And, and I'm concerned, especially in these areas, because we find that there are so many. And it's not just the younger generations. It's every generation. Um, there are those who have problems with authority. Uh, we need to be submitting to God-given authority in a proper way. And those of us who have authority, um, we need to exercise godliness and, and honor God with the authority that's given to us. Why? Because what it wears we say there, those who exercise authority must first be under authority and accountable to God. Uh, we're responsible to answer for the authority he's given. Now, I told you it's an ugly picture. It's getting worse and worse, isn't it? They're dreamers, you know, delusional, wicked perversions, possibly even claiming they're getting visions from God. They're immoral. They're not pure. They're not clean. Uh, they're rebellious. And then we find next they're blasphemers. They're blasphemous in their speech. Verse 8 again. They speak evil of dignitaries. They speak evil of dignitaries. Um, now, that's no surprise, right? If you reject authority... And you just say, I don't want authority. Then the next thing to flow from that would be what? To speak evil of dignitaries, to speak evil of others, to blaspheme. Now, some of you may have something different or have something kind of expanded in that verse. Maybe your version doesn't say dignitaries, but it might have something else. Have anything else? Into the versions? Some have in their versions and translations something along the lines of, uh, they speak evil of glorious beings or celestial beings. Uh, the idea there is maybe of angelic beings or supernatural beings. And that may well be exactly what they're talking about because the next verse talks about Michael the archangel. Now, this verse is very interesting. Verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I'll be honest with you. We don't have any other scripture that talks specifically about this account of Michael the archangel and the devil disputing over the body of Moses. We do know some things about the body of Moses. All right, who looked up and is ready with Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6, please? So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Bethphor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. All right, thank you. Let's real quickly go through that verse again, those two verses. Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6, you can write that in there. It says, Moses, servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Remember, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, right? 
He was able to look in over into it. Why wasn't he allowed to go into it? Disobeyed God, God, exactly. And and God said, listen, you're not going to be allowed to go in. You can look in. It says there that he says the word of the Lord and he that is the Lord buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. And when we read that the Lord buried him and we read what we read in Jude nine. It appears the Lord had Michael, the archangel, possibly do the burying for him. And, And it's the Lord buried him through the means of Michael, the archangel. But it says nobody knew where this grave was now. Why would the devil dispute about the body of Moses? Any ideas? Why would the devil want the body of Moses? Well, we can't speak dogmatically, but does it not make sense to you? The devil wants to divert worship from God, right? Ultimately, the devil wants worship. When he uh, tempted the Lord Jesus in his boldness, he says, what? If you'll fall down and worship me. Uh, If you look back in the passages, we looked at some of them last week, where he he says, I will exalt myself. I will be like the most high. Now, imagine. Think about Moses. Okay? Think about the man Moses. Think about the religions in our day. Think about the place that Moses uh, is looked upon in our land. Now, let's say that the devil could take the... Body of Moses and maybe buried in a very prominent place. If we knew where the burial ground of Moses was tonight, what do you think would happen? People would go there, wouldn't they? There would be a great attention drawn to that. Uh, here's the, the, the burial ground of this great leader. Uh, not only maybe Christians would go there, but others as well would go there and claim him. And so uh, that may be one idea behind it. Um, the idea was, for whatever reason, they had a dispute over the body of um, Moses. And by the way, when I look at it, you know, some people ask uh, what my opinion is on burial versus cremation. Um, if you care, um, I'll, I'll share. I don't like cremation. Um, now, I'm not saying anything wrong with it, per se, but when I look at the scripture... And I find that Moses died. What did the Lord do with Moses? He buried him. Uh, When you look back at other Old Testament saints, what do we find them doing? Those who believe God and trust God. I was just reading today, uh, I think the death of Jacob, the death of of Joseph. What do they do with them? They buried them. Uh, Now, if you want to get cremated, I'm not going to say you're wrong or anything. That just helps me. When I think about the body of the Lord Jesus, what do they do with the body of the Lord Jesus? They placed it in the tomb. They buried him. I prefer Christian uh, burial, if you will. Uh, if you choose to go the route, that's up to you and God. But that's my choice. Um, some people have asked me about that. Maybe you wondered about that. Uh, if you're going to get cremated, uh, well, don't worry about it. You won't be here anyway. So, if, you know, say, well, preacher didn't think that was very good. But uh, <laughs> you know, the other thing is, this is just a personal thing for me, is whenever somebody's cremated, uh, to me, I just don't have that closure. Now, this is a selfish reason here. Um, if I go to the funeral home, they're there in the casket, and whether it's open or closed, I, I know where their body is. Uh, whenever um, someone is, well, I'm getting way off track here. We're, we're chasing a rabbit. Maybe we can shoot him and kill him and come back. Um, I know where they are, at least their body. 
And I know where they are if they're a believer. They're with the Lord. And one day their body will be uh, raised again. Well, what about somebody who's cremated? What's happening to their new body? Well, God can bring back those who burn up in plane crashes and automobile accidents, those who drown. That's not hard for God. So if you, you get cremated, listen, that's not a struggle for God at all. He can raise up your body. But just, just when I look at Scripture, though, and I look at what the Lord did, I, I think I, I err towards the side of burial. Anyway, is the rabbit dead? If not, we'll let him go. Back to Jude's point here. What was Jude's ultimate point here? Was it so we talked about cremation? No. Uh, was it so we tried to figure out what the body was going to be used for? Not necessarily. The point was this. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. In other words, even Michael the archangel did not take it upon himself to rebuke the devil. But notice what it says in verse 10. But these, that is the apostates, they speak evil of whatever they do not know. Let's get another verse in here. Who took uh, 2 Peter 2, 10 and 11? But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Thank you. You notice Michael the archangel in contending with the devil. He didn't rebuke him himself. He didn't say, I, Michael the archangel, rebuke you. He didn't do that. He didn't bring against a reviling accusation. What did he do? He said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, have you heard any of these teachers... Uh, maybe on uh, television or whatever, who are trying to come against Satan in their own power. Uh, they're going to bind Satan. They're going to bind the power of Satan. Those people are foolish. Uh, they don't have power of themselves to bind Satan. Now, Satan's not all-powerful. Only God's all-powerful, but Satan's very powerful. Uh, Satan knows the Bible a lot better than I know the Bible, and you know the Bible. Uh, Satan's uh, not someone to play around with, and uh, these people who claim they can bind Satan or take you know over Satan's whatever, um, even Michael the archangel didn't rebuke him and bring about him a reviling accusation. Did I put this in your notes? Michael would not even accuse Satan. Is that in there? Michael would not even accuse Satan, the chief of blasphemers, of being a blasphemer. Instead, he left judgment to God. This reverence for the prerogatives of God stands in great contrast to the heretics who are slandering anyone and everyone. In other words, these apostates were happy to blaspheme. They didn't care who it was, where they were, who created them, anything about it. They didn't care. They would blaspheme. And so, knowing all of that, we understand what is being talked about in verse 10, the next part. We learn that they are corrupt. Look at the second part of verse 10. Whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. In other words, they live like animals. They did what came naturally. Uh, they just gave themselves over. Talk about their own lust. When a person just got it by their own lust, they just animalistic passions, if you will. Uh, sad to say, we, we see some of that. Um, we can go visit... And then not all prisoners, like, but there are some, some prisoners we could go, some, some criminals we could go to, and we could look at what their life has become as they've given themselves over fully to sin and to passion and becoming like natural brute beasts. Um, they're corrupt. And these are the ones who had crept into the church. 
these are those wolves in sheep's clothing. They, they came in and, and maybe they looked good and sounded good. And maybe they said, you know, well, no, we, we, we believe the Lord and, and we, we trust, you know, we, we're right with God. Yet they get in there and they deny the grace of God, the deed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, possibly even claiming visions and dreams, uh, living perverse, wicked lifestyles. They are corrupt. Apostates are intellectually arrogant. Did I put this in your notes? I need to keep a worksheet, don't I? I'm always asking you. Listen, apostates are intellectually arrogant and spiritually ignorant. They don't know uh, because they're blinded by Satan. Did you realize that? They're blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. And spiritual matters are beyond their unregenerate capacity to understand. In divine matters, they are no brighter than the dumbest beasts. Think about that. Somebody had 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Who had that? All right, I'll take it. Whose minds the God, little g, God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. We talked about at the very beginning, these apostates may not even realize that they're being used and realize what's going on. They're blinded. Satan has blinded their eyes and their understanding. And so they did what they knew to do. They lived to satisfy their lust. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, we're going to hold verse 11 till next time. It's very interesting. We're going to talk about Cain and Balaam and Korah. But I want to spend a little more time on what we've learned so far tonight about these. Basically, there are five things talked about here. Now, here's some glorious news. If you're truly a child of God, if you're truly born again, then you are not an apostate. You're not an apostate. You're going to become an apostate. But here's what can happen. It is possible for us to allow sin to creep back into our lives. Little by little, usually, right? A little compromise here, a little compromise there, letting a standard fall here, not standing where we ought to here. And before we know it, we're out of fellowship with God. Now, not out of relationship with God. We're still the sons and daughters of God. We're still going to heaven. But that sweet communion is broken. And so what I want us to do, I want to take these five areas that are described according to the apostates. And I want us to examine our own lives before we go to prayer tonight. Okay? And I put down some questions for you there. Have you got those in your worksheet? Let's look at those together. Number one, I want you to ask yourself these questions. The Spirit of God helping you. Are we living in a dream world? Are we living in a dream world? And what do you mean, preacher? It says they were dreamers. In other words, are we filled with the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Or are we filled with worldly wisdom? Living in a dream world. Are, are we filtering everything through the Word of God? You know, a lot of stuff comes in our minds, in our, in, our, in our pathway in a day's time. I mean, we're just bombarded with it. Worse than ever in our whole lifetime. I mean, years ago, they didn't have the Internet. And they didn't have phones on them. I mean, I can sit right here, and I can get on the Internet, and I can do all kinds of just standing right here, and, and wherever I'm at, stuff's coming at me. I, I'm driving down the road. There's billboards. I'm standing in line at the grocery store. There's just stuff all around me, everywhere. I can't get away from it. You can't get away from it, right? Are we filtering everything that comes into our minds through the Word of God? Are we weighing it out and saying, well, is that right or is that wrong? Because if we're not careful, we can become where we're living in a dream world and we're not really walking according to the truth. All right. Secondly, are we living with any immorality in our heart tonight? Here's some questions to help us along those lines. Are we watching anything we shouldn't watch? 
Are we listening to anything we shouldn't listen to? Are we doing things we should not be doing? You know the answer to that. We can deny it. We can rationalize it. But we know the Spirit of God convicts us and and helps us to understand to walk in pureness. And we can just resist His working and go on our own merry way. We should be miserable as children of God. Are we living with any immorality in our heart? Third, are we living with any rebellion in our heart? Any rebellion. In other words, are we submissive to God-given authority? Are we submissive to God-given authority at home, on the job, in regards to the government, in regards to the church? We struggle with this, let's be honest. You ever speed? You have to answer out loud. You ever go over across the speed, you know, past the speed limit? We got a policewoman here, I wouldn't say too loud. <laughs> That's rebellion, isn't it? Let's just be honest about it. That's rebellion. We know that the powers that be are ordained of God and governments are ordained of God and they're in authority over us. And as long as what they tell us does not go against the word of God, we're to be submissive to those in authority over us. So when we speed, we say, you know what? I don't care. I'd be rebellious. I'm going to speed and I rebel and I rebel against the government. And all of I rebel against God. A lot of you are convicted on that one. You should pray much afterwards. I do, too. Are we speaking in a way that dishonors God? In other words, does our speech, they blasphemed and they like blaspheming. Does our speech honor God? Uh, Are there times when our speech does not honor God? Next, are we allowing the lust of the flesh to have rule in our lives? Are we allowing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are we allowing that to have rule in our life? If so, Christian, if anything that God pointed out to you tonight is, is, is the case, remember and practice 1 John 1 9. Who, who, who took 1 John 1 9? Miss Betty, please. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you. Confess, real simple. means to agree. The idea is you agree with God. God, I come and I agree with you. This is sin in my life. And then we know that the Bible talks about forsaking our sin. If we cover it, we'll not prosper those who forsake it. You know, we need to confess and forsake the sin. Just how bad off were these apostates? There's a final quote on there from William Barclay, I believe, right? I want you to read this before we go to prayer tonight. Their way of life is to allow the instincts they share with the beasts to have their way. Their values are fleshly values. Their gospel is a gospel of the flesh. Jude describes men who have lost all sense of and awareness of spiritual things and for whom the things demanded by animal instincts of man are the only realities and the only standard. I told you it was an ugly picture and we're still not done. Because we're going to study next time, God willing, those examples of Cain, Balaam, and Korah and see how they relate back to these apostates. Listen, let's don't emulate them. Let's don't share their standards. Let's don't do anything with them but come out from among them, contend for the faith, share the truth, stand for the truth. And my prayer is God will help us. We're going to go to prayer.